Did you know that BDSM and kink are healthy outlets for aggression, imagination, and attention? Hi, welcome to The Partition, home of kinky wellness. My name is Dana Shergel, and I am a sexual wellness instructor that dives deep into all things kinky. I'm here to show why kinky sexual wellness deserves a rightful spot within the wellness conversation. So let's talk about it. Hey, welcome back. I want to start by asking a question that I often ask myself. Do you think our relationships with artificial intelligence is hijacking our ability to become more intimate with other people? That's the thought I had in mind when I bought the book Artificial Intimacy, Virtual Friends, Digital Lovers, and Algorithmic Matchmakers by Rob Brooks. Rob Brooks is an evolutionary biologist and professor of evolution at the University of New South Wales, where he founded and directed the Evolution and Ecology Research Center and established the UNSW Grand Challenges Program. In 2011, he published his first book, Sex, Genes, and Rock and Roll, How Evolution Has Shaped the Modern World and won the Queensland Literary Award for Science Writing. In 2013, he won Australia's most prestigious award for science communication, Eureka Prize. The book that I will be talking about today is Artificial Intimacy and was published in 2021 and, quote, offers an innovative perspective on the possibilities of AI and intimacy with humans in the present and near future. First of all, I absolutely love this book. When I first started reading it, I thought it would be a lot more about learning about sex toys in general, but this book went far beyond that and I learned a lot of neat stuff, so let's just jump right into it. The first chapter is called Meet the Doll Bots, which covers what I initially thought this whole book would be about. It detailed a lot of information that Kat and I discussed in our earlier episode on sex bots, which is that technology is advanced enough to program your doll with whatever personality you want, whether that be adventurous, matrimony and talkative, reserved, naive, or even curious. And that as of 2020, the sex toy industry was a $31 billion market with a steady increase in profits year over year. But it went further into why that might be. The steady increase year after year has a lot to do with virtual 3D porn headsets and the expansion of teledynonics. Teledildonautics is what any technology that allows two or more people to engage in sexual activity remotely. An example of this is say your partner lives on the other side of the world. With this technology, you can buy a sex toy that can be operated through an app where your partner can just adjust the settings from wherever that person is. This type of technology helps partners in long-distance relationships, people who are isolated in their homes, but also for sex workers who can work from the safety and comfort of their own home. One sex toy described is a full-body hug machine. This machine is made from soft and huggable fabric that vocally rumbles as it touches and curls around the person using it. We're at a point where someone all the way on the other side of the world can actually feel like they're giving you a hug and touching you all over through the blanket. But we are also entering the world of virtual reality. Many porn videos already are filming in the point of view format so it can be transferred into a whole immersion experience. But the book only touched on sex toys. It went further in the direction of breaking down how our virtual world may be affecting us, how tomorrow's moral panic will be like yesterday's, and raised real concerns on who owns the data and how they could use it. To start, Rob outlines the three types of artificial intimacy, virtual friends, digital lovers, and algorithmic matchmakers. Virtual friends are the artificial intimacy that can mimic how humans make friends, then draw them closer, 
then grow more intimate with them. Digital lovers are the technologies that emulate, stimulate, or facilitate sex. And algorithmic matchmakers use artificial intelligence to connect us with another person. Some examples are Tinder, Hinge, and for a less sexual example, Uber. But the idea of machines creating intimacy for us started way back in the 1960s in the form of an early chatbot called Eliza, which was created by MIT computer scientist Joseph Weizenbaum. Flash forward to 2023, AI is everywhere and our relationship with it has also evolved. In 2009, a 27-year-old man actually married his character on a Nintendo DS game called Love Plus in a very elaborate online ceremony that was viewed by thousands. Since then, it's even more recent as 2019, more and more men are entering relationships with some form of virtual companion. I know I mentioned something like this when I was first exploring AI and sex, but there seems to be a continuous story of men giving up on relationships entirely and making the decision to really bond with their AI robot. Now, things that I learned was that for the past millennia, humans have spent roughly 20% of their waking time interacting with other human beings. Today, 16% of that 20 is being given out to some form of technology, leaving us with only 4% left. But with a regular person's schedule, are we even making that 4%? Because we really aren't talking to people in person as much anymore. MIT psychologist and author Sherry Turkle says, We are hurting our empathetic eye. The empathetic eye means making eye contact, attending subtle cues of voice modulation, being attentive to body language, actively listening, and putting ourselves in the other person's position. As she explains what our empathetic eye is, I couldn't help but think it's similar to just being present. I agree the statement that face-to-face conversation is the most human and humanizing thing we can do, and that without speaking face-to-face, People are losing the capacity to develop their empathy. But alas, artificial intimacy is here to stay. In the book, it pointed out that in the first four months of COVID, the number of people posting on OnlyFans in the UK rose by 42%. Rob also points out that tomorrow's moral panic will be like yesterday's, which gave me a different perspective on certain looking toys. I know that previously I stated that even though I understand that a sex toy, regardless of what it looks like, is not a real person, that the idea of a child-looking sex toy just didn't sit well with me. However, after reading that in Australia, therapists are required to report patients if they access child pornography, which for the record, I'm anti-child pornography, obviously, but at the same time, I know how hard it is to even go to therapy. Like for me, if a person has hired a therapist and goes and finally starts speaking about whatever they, they need to work on, that gives me the impression that they are clearly seeking help. And if that help that you turn to throws you in jail, then you're not really bettering the odds of the person becoming better. Like, you're actually bettering your odds of that person becoming a reoffender. In this case, if people cannot even talk to their therapist, then these sex robots could certainly become a legitimate and useful tool for them. But what's sad about this is that, you know, most of the time, it turns out that the person committing these crimes also come from a background of abuse. So this cycle just continuously repeats. I see now that artificial intimacy is boundless for what it could be used for. Trying to contain it into a moral box of what is and isn't acceptable just isn't going to work. 
I understand, like most things in life, not everyone is going to like or possibly understand why one thing turns on one person but not another, especially within BDSM and kink. My rule is, as long as it involves consenting adults who know what they're doing and adhere to the possible risks and aren't intentionally hurting themselves or another person, anything goes. But one major topic that the book shed light on is that porn does not increase violence against women, or at least the rate doesn't rise higher than other crimes. In the late 1960s and early 1970s, Denmark, Sweden, and Western Germany were the first countries to legalize porn. Which is crazy because I don't consider that actually a long time ago, but regardless, they saw no increase in rape incidents. But during the same time frame, though, rape incidents did increase in the United States, but no more rapid than the other violent crimes, and since 1980s, it has since declined. According to the U.S. Department of Justice in 1994, before the internet, you know, was what we know it is today, 2 in 1,000 people over the age of 12 were victims of rape or other sexual assault. Over the 20 years coinciding with home internet, sexual assault victimization rates have halved to 1.1 per 1,000. What I found kind of interesting is that female rape and sexual assault victimization before it between 1997 to 2013, dropped by 50% in the U.S. Basically, it found that anywhere it was scientifically investigated, that as pornography increased and became more available, sex crimes either decreased or not increased beyond the rise of all other crimes. So Rob suggests at this point, it's time to disregard the hypothesis that pornography contributes to increased sexual assault behavior. Although our crime rates have not changed, I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit later, but our attitudes about women have certainly changed because of pornography. But another thing is our technology is becoming so advanced that we now have this thing called deep fakes. You know, the most recent deep fake that I saw that went viral is the, the Pope in the white puffy jacket. But the problem of deep fakes, at least when it comes to sex, is that revenge porn is going to be taken to a whole other level. It, it won't take much to transfer a picture of someone's face onto a naked body. Although I believe that you need to be aware of deep fakes, at the same time there isn't much we can do about it. Another concern Rob went into is how artificial intimacy and the data we give it as consumers will be used. Rob talked about a robot dog called Abo that Sony originally created in 1999 that acted like a full-blown puppy. Although the project was halted in 2006, it was resurrected in 2017, and the project was back with robot dogs more puppy-like than ever. Now, I can see how this can be beneficial for people who may not be able to have a real dog. Some of these dogs are even able to save people from burning buildings. But at the same time, I know there are countries out there that use the same robotic dogs to control the people that live within that country. So I certainly agree that when the point is made that it's not so much about the dog being the problem or the technology being the problem or the robot doll being the problem, but who owns the technology and how it's going to be used. The book also highlights two great examples of companies who took what we gave it and just completely broke that trust with its consumers, which were Grindr and OkCupid. Both of these companies have already been caught selling users' information to other countries. The example that the book gave was that OkCupid sold user information that included their sexuality, drug use, and political views. When you mix artificial intimacy in there, companies can now find out your attachment styles, affinity for intimacy, and your deep, dark desires. There will be a point when artificial intimacies will know more about us than any form of technology. 
So even though OkCupid may offer these services for free, you know, I just want you to know that they're just turning around and selling your information to the highest bidder. And that's how they get paid the big bucks. As Rob says, there is no such thing as free artificial intimacy. But even now, how much does our tech already know about us? Anyone with a smartphone can tell you a story of how they were just talking about something and then their phone started showing an advertisement for whatever they were talking about. But what I learned is that Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter already have the data and means to interfere and know when one of their users is actually falling in love, when they are starting an affair, and when their users are actually likely to break up with someone. With this information, they know exactly what advertisements to show you, whether that be a hot last-minute all-inclusive romantic getaway, affordable couples counseling, or the city's best divorce lawyer. Soon, sex bots will know and do all that and then some. But it's not all the artificial intimacy's robot's fault. You know, humans are the ones it's learning from. Rob says a really good quote, saying that artificial intimacy is merely doing in their own way what swindlers, salespeople, and seducers have done for eons. They learn how to become close to someone quickly. Intimacy can be cultivated, and AI knows it. In 1997, psychologist Arthur and Elaine Aron developed the idea of intimacy as including the other and the self, and famously showed that through a series of specific 36 questions, pairs could cultivate intimacy even if they just met. The problem is, if humans can groom, scan, catfish, nag, troll, trick, or coerce people, then you better believe AI will learn how to do that and better. Another thing that Rob pointed out is, what if Hinge's financial interest is for you to stay on the site? Do you think that Hinge will keep serving up you tantalizing, pleasing dating prospects that never really work out? Or will Hinge actually help you find your soulmate? Top sites like YouTube, Facebook, Google, and Pornhub already use algorithms like this, and it makes them a lot of money. Basically, this form of algorithm tries to keep the users on the site for as long as possible so they can sell your attention to advertisements. Another way that these sites are going to keep their users is through the freemium model, which is what OkCupid uses. But the freemium model offers in-app purchases. Now, it's one thing for a game to have an in-app purchase, but I agree with Rob that it's quite another story when artificial intimacies can exploit vulnerabilities like loneliness, depression, wanting to feel belonging, wanting to feel understood, and wanting to feel loved. Artificial intimacy has the capabilities to give us, as Rob would say, a temporary hit of romance, lust, or deep loving intimacy. And when you lack getting those in real life, getting it from a computer can feel better than nothing. But the problem with AI intimacy is that it's a low-priced substitute to the real deal. Rob compares it as getting the smartphone equivalent of a sugar-laced drink and digitally-aged chewing gum as opposed to a full nutritional value of getting intimacy from another human being, which is something that I certainly stand for. But regardless, when it comes to artificial intimacy or human intimacy, it's our responsibility to make sure we are nurturing it in a safe and healthy way. If you wanted to know more information on intimacy, what it is, its six different types, and the seven signs you're afraid of it, I encourage you to check out episode 43 titled What Type of Intimacy Are You Missing right after this one. When it comes to artificial intimacy, I see benefits such as helping people feel less lonely, who are in isolation, and for sex workers to work from the safety and comfort of their homes. But I don't believe people should be replacing human intimacy with softwares. 
AIs or other forms of technology to the point that it's hurting their ability to build intimacy with others. Overall, I absolutely love this book and I highly recommend it for those who want a deeper look into AI and AI intimacy. It's so much more than I expected and I learned so much more it. I definitely will be adding to this podcast with at least one solo spinoff from what I learned about incels and whether artificial intimacy will relieve pressures and sexual frustrations from incels or simply amplify them. But these were the points that stood out to me the most. And that's all I have for today on Artificial Intimacy by Rob Brooks. If you've read the book, let me know what your thoughts are on it. I thought it was great. I would love to hear your opinion. But thank you so, so, so much for listening. Tune in next week. And as always, stay kinky.